All right, welcome to Ducks on the Pod podcast, the official podcast of Ducks on the Pond Dynasty. Uh, we are a bunch of guys in our 20s who love baseball. Um, we're all members of, I'd say, one of the most competitive dynasty fantasy baseball leagues in the country, uh, a 12-team league called Ducks on the Pond Dynasty. Uh, in this podcast, we break down players using a blend of new school analytics and old school scouting. We also talk about the latest news in the game and focus on strategy for fantasy baseball leagues, uh, especially for dynasty and keeper leagues. Uh, today's uh, podcast, we're going to start off by recapping um, a lot of moves in that have happened in the MLB since the last podcast. I mean, the the, the off season has has really blown up. The stove is hot, um, so really too many for me to list off right now. But we'll get into a lot of the moves that have happened in the past two weeks, uh, and then we'll wrap it up by ranking uh, the top ten shortstops in fantasy going into twenty twenty one. Uh, again, my name is Trent, and joining me are uh, fellow members of the Ducks on the Pond pod, um, Dynasty League. Uh, this week we have uh, Ducks Jordan, Jose, and Reed joining the show. Um, so just to start out, I mean, Reed, you guys already know Reed. You've, uh, he's been on a few times. But, uh, yeah, Jose and Jordan, give us a little intro on yourself. Sure. I'll, I'll hop in and go first. So I'm Jordan. Uh, I am the, the commissioner of ducks on the pond as it were so long time listener first time caller happy to be on the pod uh been very busy at the league office it's it's taken me a while to get on one of these episodes but happy to be here i'm sure i'll be here uh more often in the future but yeah just a little bit of information about me uh early 20s living outside of boston definitely in the suburbs not going to call myself uh, a, a boston native per se but boston is kind of my city when it comes to sports and all that so grew up a huge Red Sox fan. I also have a soft spot for the Pittsburgh Pirates, which we might talk about a little bit today with some of the moves. Uh, some of my family is from Western Pennsylvania, so that's where that comes from. Played baseball my entire life. Obviously know some of the guys in this league from high school. We kind of played baseball together and then, you know, naturally based on our baseball interests, started a, a fantasy league, which we then parlayed into a dynasty league. And I kind of took charge of that during some time where I was not in school um, and, and kind of took over as commissioner. So really happy to be here. Um, and Jose, you want to you wanna introduce yourself now? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so my name's Jose. I'm from uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, about an hour outside of Boston. Uh, like Jordan, born and raised uh, on Boston sports. So I'm a huge Red Sox fan. Um, been playing baseball my whole life. Uh, started playing fantasy baseball with uh, David Turley, the original commissioner in our first uh, high school league uh, back in like 2013. So I've been playing for like seven, eight years. Um, absolutely love it. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get on the podcast. It's been been too long. Wanted to get on one of the earlier ones, but here we go. Uh, yeah, perfect. Shout out the SSRT, the original, the, the how it all started. Yeah, exactly. The origin. <laughs> still running, still running. We still running, still, still alive. Yeah. It as kind of a, our, our redraft version of Ducks on the Pond, if you will. So a little bit, um, I don't want to say lower stakes, but maybe lower stakes. Yeah, it's lower stakes. <laughs> Yeah, but we yeah. So it's it's basically me, a Yankees fan with three Red Sox fans. Now I will, I will say I'm always impressed by you know Boston sports fans. They always really know their stuff. So I'm not, you know. And you guys are you're not like you know some of the stupid ones who like 
only, <laughs> you know, who don't understand it in the rest of the league. Like you guys, you guys can see things pretty uh, impartially. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not too worried about it, but <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's, let's get into some of the, the moves we've had. I mean, we were talking, you know, a few weeks ago about how it seemed like the off season was just never going to happen. Like just that, with, with all the you know, COVID stuff, all the payrolls just seemed to be – no one's putting any money into them. It seemed like just nothing was going to happen. But, you know, sure enough, um, I think it was actually um, – leave it to Liam Burns. Uh, he and uh, he and Byam projected that the Lindor trade was going to spark everything. It was going to change the entire market. On the, They said that on the last pod, and sure enough – the market has exploded since then. I mean, we've seen moves that we'll talk about tonight. Uh, Liam Hendricks, DJ LeMayhew, George Springer, uh, guys like that. I mean, we even, you know, Michael Brantley. It's it's really blown up. And, you know, so the guys are right on that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the first move I want to talk about is, uh, yeah, Liam Hendricks, first one really to go down. Um, I think probably the consensus or if not, you know, one or two, consensus top closer uh, available on the, on the offseason this year. Um, he went to the White Sox on a four-year, $54 million deal. And that's it's kind of weird saying it like that. Because it's a little bit of a weird deal because had an interesting mutual option in the fourth year um, that basically would let Hendricks walk if he wanted to. But at the same time, if he wanted to walk on that fourth year, he, he could still get paid, whether or not he opted in or opted out. That's rare. Typically, you opt out and you don't get paid. But he's going to opt out and get paid. So in theory – he could opt out and actually play for another team and get paid by two teams in, two, in 2024. So uh, kind of interesting uh, move there. So um, guys, just, just give me some of your immediate reactions to this deal. Like what do you, what do you think about it? Yeah. As far as a uh, roster fit goes, I love the fit um, for Hendricks on the White Sox. I think that's absolutely what they needed is they had, they had a pretty decent bullpen already. They had like, like Aaron Bummer, pretty good setup guy would have probably been a good closer himself. Had he ended up being the closer. Um, Colm was pretty good for them as a closer, but they really need, you know, as they take that next step into truly becoming one of the, the beasts of the AL, they needed a proven guy, um, at, in the ninth inning, they needed someone, um, with a record of success. They needed someone who could, they, they could depend on to close out games and Liam Hendricks is absolutely that guy. Um, you know, maybe, maybe not quite the track record of, uh, of some of the other closer on the market, but as far as talent, like absolutely the most talented guy in the market. And I'd say like pretty, a pretty decent track record at this point. He's been, he's been elite for a few years now. So um, love the fit. Um, definitely weird with that deal um, with, you know, it's basically either a three or a four year deal for 54 million, like depending on, I don't know how that's going to work out at the end. Uh, it's going to be very interesting when he, when he enters into that, that fourth year option to see what happens. Cause we really haven't seen a deal like this uh, of this structure before um, at least to my knowledge, but um, overall just at, at fit wise, great move for the white Sox. Uh, excited to see what they do in the future. Yeah. The deal is super interesting. I think because, so the full 54 million is guaranteed. I believe because only the three years are guaranteed he counts as 18 mil as payroll tax in each of the first three years. So if he picks up that fourth option um, or, you know, if, if the fourth year option is picked up, I don't believe, I believe technically he's paying or playing um, as, as a $0 player on payroll tax. 
contracts in that fourth year. So I think that would be something that's super interesting. And if he chooses to opt out and then has that potential, like Trent said, of, of being paid by another team to play for them, that's super interesting just to see how that would go as kind of a bargaining trip where other, other teams are saying, hey, you're already getting paid. You've already got your money guaranteed for this year. So why do we need to pay you another 10 mil on top of that? I, I, I think that's going to be super interesting. Reed, like you said, you said, you know, maybe he doesn't have the track record. I think he, he's been the best reliever in baseball for each of the past two seasons I mean he's had a sub 1.8 ERA sub one whip 161 strikeouts over just over 110 innings I mean the guy is the reliever right now in my mind I think as we get into the eighth inning ninth inning of games I'm not sure there's anybody um, that I would rather have and and bottom line of, of this deal for me is that the White Sox are fun the White Sox are, are going out and signing people. They're making moves. And that's what I want to see in the league. It's one of the reasons I like the Padres. One of the reasons that I like some of the moves that the Jays have made. One of the reasons that I like the White Sox is they're going out there and they're trying to compete. Really, really fun. Um, maybe with the exception of, of Tony LaRusso, which still don't understand that. But really, I, 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 I like this deal for both the White Sox and for Hendricks, for sure. Yeah, I would, I would ditto a lot of the comments that you guys made. Uh, the one thing that I'm a little bit hesitant about the deal, it sounds like a little more hesitant than you guys, is Hendricks is going to be 32 in February. I, I am a little worried that he's – the last two years, he's obviously, like like Jordan touched on, has been unbelievable. Top two reliever easily, right along there with Hayter and Yates prior to Yates' <laughs> demise in 2020. Um, but before that, he only has one year with an ERA under um, three – since 2011 and some of those years he had really ugly eras so i i could totally see i i could totally see the first two years of this deal going really well both sides liking it and then a big collapse in the second half which that goes back to the original structure of the deal which for that reason i really like how um the white Sox structured it where they can cut it off if that third year starts getting really ugly um while hater still gets his i'm sorry not Hader, Hendricks still gets his money um, so for that reason, I, I, I like the deal overall. I thought it was a slight overpay, um, but there is a little bit more risk than some other relief pitchers might have, although relief pitching in general is a, kind of a crapshoot. But, yeah, yeah I, I, I like it overall. I, I think that's the thing for me is that, like, any reliever is going to be – questionable at best in terms of their consistency for year to year and like if I had to bet on one guy right now like I'm going to bet on Liam Hendricks so I don't have a problem with them spending that money on that and I think you know internally they're probably you know cognizant of that fact that hey this deal might fall apart he might have a bad year or two I think they're hoping that of these three or four years they get two good years that line up with when their team is good and and that kind of gives them a chance to to go deep in the playoffs because I think one thing that we've seen over the past couple years especially is that having some you know really top end um closer or just reliever arm in general can be really important for a playoff run going down the stretch yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, and just additionally, one move on in addition to that, I, I would love to see them go after a guy like that's still on the market, like uh, Jeffress or someone like that, someone like uh, Kitzler from Miami, Shane Greens, someone that they could get for a pretty cheap deal just to kind of back up their Hendrick signing, just to get that lockdown bullpen going into the postseason. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's something we're we're missing about the – like that, I just keep going back to that that fourth year option, and I keep thinking, why would he not 
opt out if it's if it's if it's the way we're looking at it and it's essentially like he opts out and he gets paid still so essentially it becomes a three-year 54 million dollar deal why would he not do that unless there's some other part of it that we're missing um it just it, it doesn't really make much sense to me that you know, like jordan you mentioned essentially like if he opted in he'd be playing for free for for a year um because he wouldn't make any extra money on top of that um I don't know. Maybe there, there, maybe there's something we're missing here about that. Like maybe there's maybe there's some buyout option that, that we're not we're not aware of. Um, so again, I think it's complicated, and I think there's a difference between um, how much money is going into his bank account and what he counts for on the payroll tax. So I think he will count for 18 mil on the payroll tax over the next three years. That doesn't mean he's getting the 18 million. That's a good um, point. And then I believe the way that the uh, opt-out works is that if he plays, he will get whatever 54 divided by four is for that year. And if he doesn't play, that money is then deferred over a number of years down the future. And so I think that um, answers your question for like, why wouldn't he just opt out and keep the money? Because then that money's not in his pocket. He has to wait a long time to receive it. Um, right. But again, that's separate from how it counts for payroll tax and, and you know, the luxury tax and everything like that. So that's all a, a little bit complicated. We probably don't want to get too far into, into those waters. Um, but I think overall, I think we, we all agree that it's a good deal and the White Sox are going to be a fun, fun team to watch this year. Absolutely. Yeah. And just like looking at their bullpen, um, Jose, you made that comment that maybe they could go out and have like a Jeremy Jeffress or another arm. Um, it definitely doesn't hurt, you know, it's like to have the more, the more stoppers at the end of the bullpen, the better for, uh, if you're a playoff team. Um, but I would totally say like, if they go into the season with this bullpen as constructed, I think they're good enough already. Um, they got their big name closer. They got Hendricks. Um, they've got, um, they've got guys like Cody Hewer, they've got Aaron Bummer, Evan Marshall, setup guys, all high quality setup guys. Um, yeah, if they were to add a Jeremy Jeffress or so, just a, uh, go out and I don't think they would really want to spend any more big money on the bullpen, but just like a low cost uh, flamethrower option sort of, or maybe a multi-inning weapon out of the bullpen. Um, you know, they could, def- they could definitely do that, but I, I don't really think they need to um, at this point. I'd agree with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Definitely an interesting move, um, like to say the least. Does this make uh, does this make the White Sox best team in American League now? What do you guys think? They're definitely the best team in the Central. I mean that <laughs> oh easy <laughs> that that division is. Uh, I mean, you have the Twins up in up in Minnesota, who have been obviously the division winners the past couple of years, but. I mean, Cleveland obviously is not <laughs> trying to to compete. Detroit's still a few years away. Um, I think they're the team to beat in the Central. I think they have a playoffs uh, slot pretty much locked up. Um, and, you know, when, when they match up in October with the Yankees, I think a lot determines or, or a lot will be determined by how many of the Yankees are healthy, which is, you know, Debatable, uh, <laughs> and, and we can maybe we can maybe talk about that a little bit as we as we start talking about um, some of the next signings that that we're going to get onto. But yeah, I'd, I'd say they're one of the top teams. Certainly, if they were the AL reps in the in the World Series, I wouldn't be shocked by any means. Yeah, I echo a lot of that, Jordan. I think it's tough to say that they're the best um, right now, but they've definitely firmly entered the tier of like that like that top tier of like the Rays, the Yankees. I think they can go out and compete with any any other AL team in a seven game series at this point. Um, you know, I, I think they're 
they're definitely in that top tier. And I think, you know, but there's just, there's a lot of question marks still to be determined on both the White Sox and other teams. If they really do take that next step and they become the best team, they're certainly capable of it. Uh, but we have to see um, if the, uh, if the Tony La Russa signing doesn't blow up in their face. Um, you know, we have to see if their, if their young stars can consistently perform. If, you know, if Tim Anderson's for real, um, if, uh, if Eloy can, can stay on the field and, and keep performing, if Luis Robert is, is for real, we, we don't know, um, you know, a lot of things to, to be determined with him. Uh, but I really like what they're, you know, like as far as the Liam Hendricks move, absolutely what they needed, uh, love what they're doing there. So they're going in the right direction for sure. Yeah, I agree. Definitely puts them in that top tier. Now, I don't, I don't think the top tier in the American League is what it has been in past years where there's that clear, like, World Series contender. I'd say it was, like, the Rays, Yankees, and Astros were kind of right there, and everybody else was kind of a step down after that. And uh, this year, I think it's going to – it seems like it's a little bit more parity kind of in the American League, not a clear front runner, you know, among all those teams. I mean, there's, there's a lot of good division contenders, but no one quite like the National League where there's just some behemoths who are going to dominate, you know, so – Definitely interesting in the American League um, by the move by the White Sox. Um, so kind of to shift gears, moving over to another deal or two deals uh, moved by the Yankees as we talk about another contender in the American League East or, or in the American League. Um, Yankees signed uh, DJ Mayhew and Corey Kluber. Actually, they had a pretty quiet offseason, to say the least. And then they, then they – I think the only deal they had made was for Greg Allen, of all people. <laughs> like, it was – it was pretty uh, pretty weak, and then all of a sudden, on uh, same day, I think, they signed DJ LeMahieu and Corey Kluber. Um, DJ was to a, a six-year, $90 million deal, and uh, Kluber was for one year and $11 million. Uh, so uh, I think we all know the importance of the Yankees getting LeMahieu, but, uh, I mean, what did you think about the contract terms? Uh, six years, $90 million. Do you think uh, – were you guys surprised by those numbers at all? I, I was surprised that – you know, if if he's going to go for six and ninety, I think if other teams knew that he was going to go for six and ninety, there would have been mu- many more teams interested in DJ LeMahieu. And I think part of it was, to me at least, it always felt like he wanted to go back to New York. It always felt like that was his first choice, and so he might have given them. You know, obviously it's a little bit longer than I expected, but it's also a, a lower AAV. Um, than I think most people expected. So I think he might've given them a little bit of a hometown discount in, in that way. Um, but yeah, I, I think I was surprised. And I think most people were surprised to see that it was um, such a low AAV. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, it's been, it's been reported that there are other teams that offered like Toronto offered a higher average with a lower long, long, like lower, uh, shorter deal. Um, so for that reason, I think the six for 90 really works out pretty well for both sides because the Yankees get um, their guy who has a Red Sox fan. I really wanted to leave town um, while LeMahieu still gets a six year deal. That's going to take him to like, I believe it's age like 38, 37, something like that when the deal's over. So he still gets paid. It's definitely not what I thought he could have got, but I like the deal for both sides. And he clearly gave, gave out a little bit of a hometown discount. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, LeBehu knows that this is probably going to be the last big deal that he signs in his career. So he definitely wants to max out the years. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, this is the last deal he signs and he retires at the end of this. You know, it's a very, very 
real possibility this might be his last deal. Um, but just, I can't believe that the Yankees and Cashman and Steinbrenner dragged their feet on this for so long. And personally, just the way that I'm looking at this, it's like if a two-time top five MVP voter came to me and said, hey, I want to sign with you for like 60 cents on the dollar of what I could get somewhere else, I'd be like, hell yeah, let's do it. No negotiations needed, done. Instead, they just dragged this out and dragged this out. And then LeMahieu reached out to his agent, said, hey, you know, look at other teams because the Yankees are dragging their feet. Um, and it just looked really messy for, for weeks um, for the Yankees. It was looking really, it was going to look really bad for the Yankees if he signed somewhere else, um, given that the numbers were, were pretty much, were pretty public as far as, you know, like the Yankees offered him something like four years, 72 million, um, and it ended up being six years, 90. So essentially, you know, just tack on like two years, 18 million to that. You know, it's still a fantastic deal for the Yankees. I'm just like shocked that it took them so long uh, to come to that agreement, given how relatively low it is for for a guy who's been one of the top players in the AL for the past few years. Um, but you know, happy for LeMahieu. Um, He's definitely you know, we, we, you know, he might yeah, he might have been able to get some more money somewhere else. But you know, clearly like the Yankees team wise, park wise, are the best fit for him. Um, 90 million is like surely enough for, you know, to set him up for life, you know? So it's like clearly, um, for him, it wasn't really about the massive payday. It was about just like securing his future, uh, and securing his future on the team he wanted to play for. And, you know, if if those were his goals and he got it done. So, you know, good for him. Good for the Yankees. Yeah. I think one of the reasons that if you're a Yankee fan, you have to be happy with this deal is DJ is happy with this deal. Yeah, (laughs) you should be. You should be very happy. (laughs) It, it, fits, it fits well from an on-the-field perspective where I, I feel like we're pretty confident in what DJ LeMahieu is going to do. He's kind of a consistent day-in, day-out performer. Um, and with the rest of the Yankees lineup, that's not necessarily something you have. You have Glaber, who's been up and down. You have Gary Sanchez, who has obviously been up and down. Stanton and Judge are great when they're on the field, but you know that can be hit or miss. So I think he's great as kind of a steady presence there on the field. And then to also have that only $15 million a year in AAV, it means that they'll be able to keep him around. And the Yankees being a team that will always have a high payroll, to have somebody who's going to be a quality player for you for the next couple of years at a reasonable deal, it's, it's kind of a good, you know, you don't have to worry about it moving forward going into each consecutive spring training you know DJ is going to be there and you know what he's going to give you on the field. So I like it. I like it for that reason as well. Yeah. yeah and let's I mean, be real, that it's like it, people are concerned where it's like, Oh, you know, he signed until 38, you know, they're going to be paying him, you know, 15 million a year at 38 years old. It let's be real. Like if he plays to the level he's been playing at for the last two years, if he keeps that going for, you know, this year, next year, the year after that for three years, it doesn't even matter at that point what he does for the last three years. He could be a bum for the last three years at that point. They, the Yankees have already will have at that point already gotten the value out of that contract that they want to get out of it. Uh, so I think that's really what those extra two years for, for LeMahieu are all about, you know, just giving him the money and giving him the, the year flexibility that he wanted. But for the Yankees, you know, you really have to be looking at it. It's like, okay, you know, we, we don't really have to expect that he's going to still be performing like this at, you know, 37, 38 years old. Cause that's, you know, you, you probably count in your hand how many guys that perform that well but at that age. Uh, but it's really all about just like getting the value of that contract out of it in the first few years. And I think there's a very good possibility that, you know, he will keep his production going um, for that time. Yeah. I mean, this is a, I think a pretty valuable deal when it comes to, I mean, like you said, Reed, like even if you were to compress all those dollars into 
four years, you know, I mean, that's still a really good deal for the, the Yankees, I think. And I mean, like the fact that, yeah, they don't have, they get them for sex and you know, they can spread that all out. I mean, it's, it's a win-win, but I mean, DJ O'Mayhew is a guy who, I mean, he is on a team that is all about power. He's the consistent guy who gets on base, who makes contact, goes line to line, um, plays all over the field. He's clutch, like at the plate, like, I just keep saying, like, he is, I think, a better fielding, ver- like, modern version of Derek Jeter. Like, he is – he's got – if anything, he's got actually a little bit more power than Jeter did. Um, so, it's uh, – he's he's really good. <laughs> I mean, he's everything you want. And, in fact, I think um, the hit tool, as we've seen with other guys, carries on pretty well. Like, it, it, it sticks. Like, so that's a good tool to have. I mean, speed, power, those all go away. But hit tool, I mean, it's not like you're, you might, you know – not you might slow down a little bit. You're not get around the fastball quite as much, but you're still gonna do all right. And you know, DJ is a you know nice thing is he's versatile and defense doesn't really go down. So you know, if anything, you got a you know third base, second base, uh, first base, you know, guy who can be your utility man later on his deal. You know, if you need, it's really like it, it, I think it's a great deal. I mean, I, I mean, as a Yankees fan, I'm ecstatic. Yeah, I, the only question is why didn't this get done sooner? You know, the Yankees were. You know, I mean, I, I know it's, it's kind of, you know, it's, it seems like I'm going I, – I, we already won at this point. We already got him, right? But I, why do I want more? But the Yankees cannot be crying poor here. I mean, they lead the league in revenue every single year. Sure, COVID, they're down a little bit. And then, in fact, they, lost, they said they lost a lot, the most money. Sure, they did. But they're going to make the most money for the next – like, t- ever, you know. So it's, it's going to be um, – they're going to make so much money. It's going to easily make up for this deal for any, anything that they were to spend this off season, they could ease or any loss they incurred, they could easily make it up. I think it's just the most like outlandish thing to cry for when you're making that much and you know, you're going to make that much year after year. Yeah. COVID's I, going to end. I, I think I have a reputation in the league as maybe one of the more um, pro player uh, people. And when it comes to kind of owner player relations, but I also think like, listen, it's still the middle of January. And that's something I've said about my own fantasy team with, with not making moves, but also, you know, this isn't Harper and Machado waiting until spring training to sign. Like it, it's still getting done well before the season. And there is a chance that, you know, LeMahieu and, and Cashman or whoever was negotiating with them sat down and said, Hey, like, you know, obviously we want you to come back to the Yankees. LeMahieu says, Hey, I want to be in New York there's a chance that they just said, Hey, let's not rush this. Let's, let's take it slow. And, you know, I, I understand wanting it to get done sooner. And I understand not, you know, wanting to feel like you are crying poor, but I also think, Hey, sometimes, sometimes deals take time and it's, it's, it's okay. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. say you're, you're a pro player as much as you're extremely anti-ownership. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fuck them. <laughs> And I will say, like, I, I did hear that DJ did take less money because kind of like, you know, almost like some of those guys in the Warriors did. We see this happen in the NBA a little bit. You know, guys take a little bit less money so other guys can come be on the team. And, you know, I think he wanted to do that so that um, the Yankees could get under the luxury tax or do whatever and be able to sign more guys. So, I mean, I mean you don't see that much anymore here, guys. He wants to win, you know. And, I mean, let's be real. Like, $90 million is – 90 million dollars like that you're set for life you know oh, yeah. like, you know what you're doing like it's sometimes like oh it's only 90 million but put that in perspective you know it's like he's all right 
you know. And, well, I think the big thing is just that, you know, the, the general yeah. consensus is that he could have got more if he wanted to get more. Sure. Like, you know, he decided that, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can to stay on the Yankees and make sure the Yankees can stay competitive with me um, and get the most years out of it. Because I think the years were, were the most important thing. It's like he clearly yeah. – you know, if you look at what, um, if you believe what the, the rumors of what the Yankees offered him, the rumor offered the Yankees gave him was four years, 72. And that was an $18 million AAV. So there's actually a higher AAV than what he ended up getting, than what he pushed for. Um, he was like, no, like drop it down to 15 AAV, but give me those extra two years. Um, so I think, I think, you know, just looking at how it turned out, I think it was just really important for him to get those six years because he, he knows that, you know, if, if he took the four-year deal, you know, that deal ends when he's 36. He's not signed another deal like that. Um, you know, even if he is still playing at that level, just no one's going to give him a deal like that. Um, he would have to go probably the Nelson Cruz route at that point, just take like one-year deals every year until he retires. Um, and, you know, just like given who he seems to be as a person, he did not want to go that route. Yeah, Reed, and you said, you know, the general consensus is that he could have gotten more, he could have gotten this, he could have done that. Um, but I think an important thing, and, and Trent, correct me if I'm wrong, we haven't heard anything from DJ about being upset about how long it took or upset about the terms of the deal. Like, he seems perfectly happy. So I think if, if that's the, the situation, then we just kind of have to defer to him and be like, hey, man, if, if this is the deal that he wanted, he eventually got it, good for him. I, I think that's good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. In a year like this, too, you know, you have to know, you have to understand that the market's all different, you know, and – I mean, I, I there was a lot of rumors of, that he might be upset or whatever. I just don't know if that was just some agent, you know, putting stuff out there to try and put pressure on the Yankees. But I, I mean, I, I think it was, I think it was good. I was, I'm happy with how everything went. But I mean, another deal that was made on the same day was you know the addition of Corey Kluber, um, and that was that one's interesting to me. You know, one year, eleven million. Um, what do you guys think about this addition to Kluber? I mean, I, I really want to think of. Like, see what you think. Uh, what are the Yankees getting out of going to get out of Kluber this year? Give me like the best case, worst case, and maybe the most realistic outcome that they're going to get from Kluber. Yeah, so I I really like this fit actually for the Yankees. It's another contract where it sounds like a player kind of gave a discount to play in New York. Uh, it's been reported that Kluber got um, higher higher uh, average value uh, than the eleven million that the Yankees gave him. Um, but I think it was very important to lock this guy down for the Yankees just because uh, we haven't really seen Kluber, Kluber pitch in two years, but being on a one-year deal, being mid-30s, they can really kind of ride him. And right now, I mean, you look at the rest after, obviously, Cole's a stud as, the, as their number one. Um, Kluber probably fits in as number two. But then after that, you got like Jordan Montgomery, Domingo Armand, uh, Debbie Garcia. Like how many of those guys can you – realistically say are going to pitch more than 120 130 140 innings um so Kluber comes in and that's just a guy that's older he's been around the league obviously has two Cy Youngs so that's that's not nothing to scoff at um and they he can really go I would say I'd expect him to go at least 150 probably around 170 innings which is probably going to be huge for the Yankees um hopefully I would say you'd, you'd be ecstatic to get 170 and like a 3.6 ERA um, I think that'd be pretty good. And I think he's just going to kind of be a workhorse for them, which they desperately needed. I mean, I think that's what they're hoping for, but I mean, geez, I, I think people underrate 
Kluber for how good he was in 2016 through 2018. I mean, the dude threw 200 innings plus for like five consecutive years from 2014 to to 2018. But he's a 35-year-old who we haven't seen pitch in two years for any significant. 34. Okay, my bad. Going into his year 35 season, I should say. Um, But we haven't seen him pitch for any extended period of time for two years. You want to know what the worst case scenario is. The worst case scenario is exactly what happened in 2020, where he comes out, he goes to throw one game, he gets hurt, and then he's put back on the shelf for for the entirety of the season. Like, that is a legitimate um, outcome, you know, and maybe the Yankees, I mean, I shouldn't say maybe, the Yankees know more about his health than we do, so they obviously must be confident in him. But I was actually surprised that he got $11 million. I mean, we're talking about a old pitcher at this point in, in major league terms, an old pitcher who hasn't thrown in two years. And I just, you know, I, I don't think we can be sure of anything that we're going to get for him. So I think he's like the biggest wild card signing that we've seen so far this year. I do agree with that, but it does sound like given the amount of teams that were interested, went to his tryout and since other teams uh, offered him more than the 11, which I also agree with you, I was surprised we even got to double digits for a guy who hasn't thrown in two years. But I, I think there's got to be pretty, um, pre- a pretty good level of assurity in the Yankees and in Major League Baseball in general that that many teams were offering that much money. I think his, his arm must be looking pretty good. He must be pretty um, healthy. Yeah, I mean, I like the, la- the, the last part of what you said, Jordan, where he's like, you know, that, that's totally true, where he's a complete wild card. We don't know what he's going to do. So it's like to, to Yankees Twitter, to you guys thinking that he is going to be an ace right out of the gate, I'm like, pump the brakes. We have no idea what's going to happen. He could uh, totally rebound to his 2016 numbers and he could, you know, go out and contend for a Cy Young again or not, or it could be Sonny Gray 2.0 uh, in the Bronx. But um, here's the thing. It's like he, it, when, as a pitcher, especially when you've had that many injuries outside of age 30, when you're, when you're over 30 years old and your career has been derailed by injuries like that, you're trying to make a comeback. The, Odds of it going successfully, if you look at the track record, are not good. Um, now, that being said, to Kluber's credit, none of the injuries he's dealt with have been, you know, it has been like Tommy John, it has been like shoulder stuff. It's all been like freak injuries. Like, you know, his throwing arm is not necessarily um, uh, gone. You know, it's like he still might have something left in the tank. So that's why I'm like, we really don't know if we're just going purely off of. Uh, injury track record and age, I would say expect nothing. Um, because, you know, like mostly you've seen guys, you know, like guys like James Shields, you know, just like have nothing left, you know, like James Shields when he went to the White Sox and the White Sox crazily traded Fernando Tatis Jr. for, for James Shields. That, that really happened. Um, and, you know, James Shields was a bum at that point in his career. He had nothing left in the tank. Um, this deal could turn out a lot like that. But, you know, the thing is like, Thankfully, the Yankees, it's a one-year deal. It wasn't a trade like that. You know, the Yankees didn't have to give up any top prospects to get him. Um, $11 million is a lot, um, but it's only one year, and it's the Yankees, so they can pretty easily afford that. You know, if you look at the money they saved with the LeMahieu deal, it's like it's pretty much a net zero because they saved all that money, you know, not paying T.J. LeMahieu. They're using that to pay Kluber. So uh, I'm very interested to to see how this turns out, but um, I would just caution everyone – pump the brakes, you know, both ways, you know, it's like, we really have no idea how it's going to turn out. And, you know, it's going to be one of those things that spring training, all eyes will be on him and, uh, and we'll see how it goes. 
Yeah, I I like it as a move for the Yankees in that I think they have a lot of young, good pitchers with potential who could benefit from some mentoring. So I think even just having him around, even if he isn't ace level, um, is good from that perspective. But I don't like it for the Yankees in that they have so many pitchers who are pretty inconsistent and or have some sort of injury track record already. Um, I, I don't think he's a fit from that perspective. So I, it, it is a really interesting deal. And, and like you said, Reed, I'm, I'm really just interested to see how it goes. And hey, if he comes out and shoves like an ace, like that'll suck as a Sox fan, but I really like it just as a, as a baseball fan because Kluber was one of the best um, when, it, when it comes down to, to pitchers of the 2010s. Yeah, and he seems he seems to be pretty confident in himself, at least for a bounce back, because it sounds like he could have gotten a multi-year deal um, elsewhere if he wanted to. And he's like, nope, I'll take the one-year deal with the Yankees. Um, as far as you know, situations to to bounce back in, you know, if he does go out and shove and and pitch amazingly, that's gonna send his stock to the moon for for his next contract. He'll be able to sign a big big uh, number deal for for his next contract. Um, so if he believes in himself, if if people believe in him, if he really uh, if the, the bounce back really does happen, um, then good for him. You know, this is a good move for him and it's a good move for the Yankees. Um, but it's one of those things that just, we have no idea what's going to, how it's going to turn out until we have actual baseball again. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I, just to give you guys some insight, I mean, I think the big reason he signed with the Yankees is the Yankees head trainer, Eric Cressy is, is his trainer, is Kluber's trainer in the off season. So I think that's, that's um, kind of the big, connection there and obviously they've probably been spending a lot of time together in the past few years um, with those injuries you know um, I think um, you know like you guys said there's a potential I'm optimistic and I have um, I think I have reasons to be optimistic as a Yankees fan but you know like like you said you got a you got a kind of cautious optimism there um, because you know there there's always there's an injury risk but I think we're also overplaying the injury because like you know, he was saying one of them is a freak injury. He got drilled in the arm on his pitching hand or arm by, you know, so a line drive. I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. And then, um, then he got, um, he actually had um, an injury last year where I think he got um, something in one of his, in his arm had an issue. Um, but I don't, I don't remember what that was, but I think it was, I think it was something relatively small. Um, all to say though, I think Kluber, you know, he has the potential, and it, but it's – I mean, and you can be good in your thir- late 30s. Verlander has shown us that. Um, I'd say, you know, maybe expect something like David Price, you know, something kind of in that range, you know, somebody who was good early in his career. I mean, let's say – I mean, Kluber hasn't had the long – all those – a ton of innings for a, a bunch of years. He, he's had it for a short stretch of maybe five years where he had a really good stretch. You know, somebody like James Shields – for a long time, which is pitching a ton of innings, you know, so it's really, or something like CC Sabathia just were horses in their twenties and then they just lost it in their thirties. And I think somebody like uh, Kluber might be, is, is always kind of proved to be a little bit of a late bloomer and nothing to say he can't keep it going. Um, but yeah, I think there's just room for cautious optimism. I, if there's any reason for me to doubt him, it'd be more because of his stuff. I think, there's actually a sign of during his, even the tail end of his great run with the Indians, his stuff was starting to fade just a little bit and it wasn't playing quite as well. That, that if there's any reason for me to be a little less optimistic, I think it'd be that really. Um, but still, I think, you know, on a rotation, I think if health is, isn't an issue, I think you, 
if everything back to where he was. I mean, that's a great piece for the Yankees, like you said, um, Jose. He really needs they need innings in a bad way with all those young guys, I and mean, they have a lot of young, talented young pitchers who I think can go out there and put out some decent ratios. But it's it the issue is going to be innings. They really they need to find find them. So, I mean, I like it, but um, like you said, guys, reason um, to be cautious. So yeah, yeah, um, like, and I'm just looking at like the. Um, so you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned this, just to follow up on what you mentioned with his stuff, you know, yeah, he's not going back to, you know, with the Indians, he was a, a mid to a mid nineties sinker baller uh, pitcher with a, a nasty slider, just absolutely unhittable, um, you know, striking out 11, 12 guys inning or 11, 12 guys per nine. Um, that's not coming back. You know, he's not going to, he, he's not going to be striking out 200 guys um, in 2021. That's just not going to happen. Um, now the good thing, you know, lower velocity, you know, like at the most optimistic, he's going to be like a low nineties pitcher. He's going to have to go more pitch to contact. Um, the, the good thing about that is that if the Yankees need innings, you know, that is a way to maybe get more innings out of him where, you know, if he's going out, trying to strike out 10 guys in outing, you know, you're probably not going to get past, um, you know, six, seven innings that way. Whereas, you know, he's more pitch to contact, you know, get some of those shorter innings, get, get a lot, you know, get some double plays, ground balls, um, weak contact, um, that could go in his favor. Um, now, looking at some of these injuries here, I pulled up actually the uh, specific injury history he had over the past two years, and it's just wild, like, reading through this. Like, all of these are – like, reading through them, they're, like – they're serious injuries. Let's not, let's not downplay the fact that all of them they're, – they're serious injuries. Like, all of them were – he was out for multiple months for all of these. Um, and, but the – just uh, in his, like, let's just say, like in his favor, like you know, the fact that he might uh, be better off than some other thirty-something pitcher with a with a long injury history is that all of these injuries are ones that you can fully recover from um, as a player. That they're not they're not injuries that should uh, debilitate him in the future. Like you know, twenty nineteen, uh, Trent, you mentioned it, he had the the fractured forearm on the comebacker. That's a freak injury, you know, but that's a, a bone break. You know, you can just that will heal up fine. It has healed up fine. Um, he also had the oblique strain he dealt with in 2019 as well, which I would say is actually the more concerning of, of those two um, long-term. But, but even then, that's not an arm injury. Um, that really shouldn't um, – you know, he healed up from that. It really shouldn't affect him going forward. Uh, and then he had the Terry's major strain, which is the most uh, – in 2020, which we, the one knocked him out for 2020. That's the most scary-sounding one. But even that one, just reading up on – what um what doctors in the industry have said about that injury is that that's another one that is uh is tough to rehab from but at the same time uh they expect 100 percent recovery from him they it's not a not one of those things that's going to debilitate him in the future so really all of those injuries are stuff that if he's going into 2021 fully healthy um you really don't have to totally worry about a repeat of any of those injuries it's just the question of uh, the fact that he really hasn't pitched that many innings in the past two years, you know, like, will that, um, that, that's actually probably the most risky thing out of all of that is that the fact that he has not pitched that many innings in the past two years, that in itself could actually lead to some risk of if you go from zero to a hundred on your arm like that um, without much buildup, then, um, then that could lead to some issues in itself. So really, I think that's the most concerning thing of all is that just the lack of innings that he's pitched in the past couple of years. But as far as the injuries themselves, um, definitely not that serious compared to like what some other guys like Mike Clevenger, you know, has had Tommy John twice now, you know, it's like, it's nothing like that, you know? So, um, 
you know, that, that's probably, it, that's why he got the 11 million is that right. the Yankees, the training staff, the training staff, small, the MLB teams are looking at that. They're like, okay, like that's, you know, his arm is still mostly fine from what we think. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope, you know, I don't really have time to talk much about this, but, you know, I mean, I think definitely room still the Yankees need one more guy in that rotation to, you know, really, you know, add some innings and stability there. I mean, they can kind of fill in with the young guys after that, but I think they need one more guy. And I think that, you know, the bullpen, I think they need one more arm there after losing Tommy Canely and Dylan Batanzas past few years. A guy like Adam, Adam Montavino hasn't really – turned out the way they wanted him to, you know, I mean, Chapman's starting to take a little bit of a step back, you know, and we still got Britain back there and green back there who are fine, but you know, it's just, I think they need another arm um, in that bullpen to keep it where it was. Um, so a few little things left for the Yankees. And I think, um, I think until they have get more stability in that rotation there, they still, I don't think, I mean, they're still, not quite the contender. They're a contender for sure, but they're not a World Series contender in my mind until they do that. Um, they, they still need that third solid pitcher on the going in. So um, just to kind of, kind of close it on the Yankees, but um, we also saw a move with uh, George Springer um, going to the Blue Jays on a six-year, $150 million deal. I mean, what did you guys think about that deal? I mean, that was – I mean, do you think George, Mil- or George Springer is going to be worth $150 million over the course of this contract? I, I think the thing with Springer to me is that I, I don't know how long he's going to be able to stick in center field. And I know Reed is a big fan of the two corner outfielders up in Toronto. So, so sorry, it's sorry, I am. a hot button issue with, with Reed. But I think Springer will probably move out of center field relatively soon. Probably not this year, um, but probably, I, I would say definitely within three years, he'll get moved to a corner spot. And then probably shortly after that to, to a DH spot. Um, but I think he's going to be a good hitter for for a very long time. I, I like George Springer as a hitter for sure. Well, um, the good thing the good thing about that is that uh, Teoscar and Lourdes are only on the books for three more years. So, well, there you go. You're, you're in probably, center field for three years. Your <laughs> problem is solved. Um, and obviously, if if he moves to a corner outfield and then a DH spot. Um, the value that he's providing also goes down because the Blue Jays will need somebody else to play center field at that point. Um, but I, I still like the deal. I like this deal and I like the Kirby Yates deal. And I like the moves that Toronto is making for similar reasons that I actually like what the Nationals are doing this offseason, which is that like I don't entirely understand it because like, do I do you guys really believe that you're like divisional threats, first of all? Like, do the Toronto Blue Jays really believe that they're going to beat both the Yankees and the Rays. Um, I don't know. I, I think obviously they believe they do. I don't know if, you know, the industry as a whole believes that they do. Um, and I think the same could be said about the nationals and in, in the NL East. Um, but also like, fuck yeah, guys go for it. I, I love it. Like you have, you have a fun, exciting young team, go ahead, add some talent. Let, let's see what happens because I'd love to see Toronto, Tampa Bay, in New York go down, you know, into the final week of the season, all within two games of each other. I think that'd be really fun um, and, and good for baseball, honestly. So I like the moves. I like that. And I know we have the Yates deal to talk about too, one year, $5.5 million, but I just like them both. Cause I think it makes Toronto more of a solid team in, in the AL East. And, you know, I, I wouldn't pick them to win the AL East, but I think that they'll put up a good fight for sure. 
Yeah, I, I think the addition of Springer really elevates. I mean, their lineup now has potential, especially if Vlad can kind of figure out um, Bichette stays healthy. That, that lineup could be just insane. I mean, Springer's last 162, so this past season, and then going like halfway through next, 50 home runs, 127 runs, 121 RBIs, 285 average, 378 OBP. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I think he has the potential, like you guys touched on, to age nicely, especially I'm happy he stayed in the AL with the DH spot because I think that's definitely where he's going to end up as because his speed's been dropping um, in recent years. Um, but I, I just like overall, I, I agree. I just, I just I appreciate Toronto doing that. I mean, they hand out – it's by far the biggest contract they've given out in their franchise history. And right now in a year where you have like a ton of teams, like the Rays, Cubs – uh, Reds and Pirates. Uh, Pirates have kind of always done it. They've been ahead of the curve, but a lot of teams that, yeah, it's tired for the shot, Jordan, but uh, uh, a lot of teams that they're not spending any money at all. I, I love um, the Blue Jays going out and giving Springer 150. Um, and not to mention that they put themselves in playoff contention. And once they get there, Springer's tied for fourth all time in career postseason home runs, which I didn't really know that prior to a couple of days ago when he signed this contract. So he's going to be a stud for them once they get to the playoffs, um, which obviously they're, they think they're going to, which I love it. Yeah. I'm so glad we're talking about this topic. I've been waiting for, for this day for all weekend, to, uh, all week to, to talk about this. Um, I, I think the demise of, uh, let, me, let me start off with this, um, you know, because you guys are in the, in the group me, obviously. I think the demise of Teoscar and Lourdes has been greatly overestimated. Um, you know, I think they're going to be fine. Uh, if anything, I think they're going to benefit from this, having Springer in that lineup. You know, it's just another great hitter to have in that lineup. I think their playing time is going to be fine. The fact that, you know, Teoscar plays right field, uh, Lourdes plays left, Springer plays center. I mean, yes, I, I totally agree with you, Jordan. Um, towards the end of that deal, Springer's definitely going to move out of center field at some point. I don't think it's going to be um, – in the next few years. I think it's going to be at least a few years that he's going to stick in center field. Cause he's still a gold glove caliber center fielder right now. Um, and even if his, um, you know, his defense will start to tail off um, in the next few years, but I, I, I think it's going to be at least another three years before, um, before they really have to move him out of center field. So um, I was going to get worried if they signed Brantley, if they, if they signed Brantley, that was going to be a problem because then it was, you know, th then you're looking at, okay, like who, like Lourdes or Brantley or Teoscar, who loses playing time between the three of them. Um, but thankfully that didn't happen. We'll, I'm sure we'll get into that later, uh, the big switcheroo on that. Um, but just looking at Springer, looking at the value of that contract, I actually, I think it was a slight overpay by the Blue Jays. I don't think he's really a $30 million a year player. Um but it's a slight overpay. I, th I think he's more of like a $25 million a year player. I think I, I would have been more comfortable um, if I were the Jays seeing him more for like five years, 125. Um, what was it? Sorry. No. Um, how many, was it six? It is, it is a $25 million average. It's 25, uh, yeah. No, you're good. You're good. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, oh boy. I'm going to get roasted for that one. Um, but yeah, it's just, so, all right, $25 million a year. Sure. I think, you know, that's, that's probably right where, right where he should be then. Um, but uh, yeah, just like, I, as far as like what he's going to give the Blue Jays right now in the competitive AL East, it's going to be a huge stepping stone for the Blue Jays getting up towards closer to that Rays Yankees tier. I don't think they're quite there yet. Um, but if they go out and get 
a sunny gray, you know, then, then maybe, you know, they, um, you know it, the current Blue Jays plus sunny gray, you look at them match up with the uh, current Yankees match up with the current Rays. So like, it's kind of a toss up at that point. Like who, who's the best team. Um, and then looking at um, the rest of the Blue Jays, you know, I'm, I'm very excited about the possibility of uh, Vladdy going to third base. I think that became a lot more likely with this move now that, you know, you've got um, Rowdy Telez pretty much has to play DH now. Um, and then you've got um, really like, it, it's like, do you really want to play Vladdy at first base? Do you want to lock up? Do you want to lock up Rowdy as your full-time DH? Or do you want to give the flex, if they want to rotate the DH spot through, then they almost have to play Vladdy at third base. And that gives the option for Rowdy to at least mix in some starts at first base. And then you've got DH a little more open for some rotation. Um, so yeah, definitely. Like, I think this move gives, um, you know, any of you Vladdy fans, I, I'm sure I sure as hell am a Vladdy fan, you know, it gives, gives you a little more confidence in, uh, in the Vladdy, the third base move. And I think, uh, I think that's looking strong. Skinny Vladdy 2021, baby. The, the year of the Vlad coming up. I, I think, honestly, with, with Springer, even if it is a little bit of an overpay, which, you know, people might go different ways on whether it is or not, um, the Blue Jays had been, like, second or third in the race to sign every other free agent this season. Like, they were in on Hendricks, they were in on LeMahieu, and they just hadn't gotten their guy yet. And so I feel like they felt like, hey, listen, at this point, man, we need to sign somebody. And if it means we have to overpay by a couple mil a year on, on Springer, we're going to do it because we want to go compete. And again, I think that's, I think that's good for baseball. I, I 100% agree with that, Jordan. At some point, it, at some point you just got to go out and make a move. Like, uh, yeah. like with the Hendricks deal, it's like, it's very it, like with these top tier relievers, uh, just going back to that a little bit, it's most of them don't measure up to, to that kind of money. Um, but at the same, but that being said, at the same time, you, you know, it's like stat-wise, sure, on paper they might not measure up, but it's like you look at all the recent championship winners, all of them have had top-tier closers at the back end of that bullpen. So it's almost a requirement that you need a top-tier closer if you want to win a World Series. So, um, you know, it's le- less so important, I'd say, for like having a top-tier center fielder, but it's certainly you need a good center fielder um, at the very least to, to win a World Series. And uh, who, who they had, they had like Randall Grichik uh, before in center fielder. Randall Grichik is not a World Series caliber center fielder. He's just, you know, he's a fourth outfielder type guy. Um, and that's, He's a defensive replacement. That is, is probably going to be the most important role for, for Grichik in, in 2021. You were, you were talking about relievers. What do you think about hand? I, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, Kirby Yates. Sorry. Those two guys just go. <laughs> I was going to say, like, uh, you know, hands uh, going to be <laughs> hands a good guy. Uh, no, well, what you, well, if you, mentioned, you know, hands going to be a great value acquisition for whoever gets him. I, you know, I think he's incredibly undervalued right now in the market. Um, what do you think about Yates to, to Toronto? I, I like Yates to Toronto um, as it's definitely a lot more risky than, than Hendricks to, uh, to the White Sox. You know, it's like, you look, it's kind of funny how their roles have, completely reversed in the past few years where, you know, if you look back at, what was it like 2018? Um, when was it? It was like, it was Kirby. Yates 2019. Like, it was 2019, 2019 too. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, or no, I'm thinking about Trinan. Wow. I'm really off right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm totally, I'm thinking about, well, uh, Blake, that's a great example. Uh, Blake Trinan, Kirby Yates. Um, great kind of comparisons for, they've kind of had similar career arcs where they've had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And, um, you know, Trinan's 2019 was, uh, 
pretty similar to Yates' 2020. And, um, you know, Yates it was humbled. Uh, he, he got humbled in 2020 big time. Um, and now he kind of gets to go to – I like it for him. You know, I like personally for him um, the chance to sort of rebuild his career, rebuild his reputation in Toronto. Um, I think that's a perfect landing spot for him. I think if he does go out and shove there, um, he can totally rebuild his reputation as one of the best closers in baseball. Um, if I'm the Jays, though, I would have him on a pretty short leash, <laughs> you know, to do that. If you're if you're serious about competing this year, um, if he goes out in April and he blows a few saves in April, I would start looking for the next guy up, um, whether that's Rafael Dolis or whether that's someone else. Um, so. I would go back to, you know, the, the, the Trent quote, cautious optimism. I would say if you're a Jays fan, be cautiously optimistic about Kirby Yates. You know, he was a very short time ago. He was an elite closer in baseball. But, you know, you've kind of seen with um, Trinan really hasn't been able to bounce back yet. Um, so it's really not a guarantee that Yates can do the same. He might. He might not. Uh, it's one of those things that um, all eyes will be on him in spring training, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I, I yeah. totally agree with that. I mean, because the Yates contract is essentially like a flyer, $5.5 million base salary to get a guy that 2018-2019 combined went 123 innings with a 167 ERA. Like, that, that's just absurd. I mean, if Great you can, flyer. I love, like, the contract value yeah. on it. Like, I love the money value on it. It's just the question of actually, like, you know, he's, I, I would say he's, you know, pretty much guaranteed to be the closer, right? And it's like, do you trust him to be the closer, I think, is the, the bigger question. Yeah, the one interesting thing is I, I forget if it was the GM or the manager in Toronto did say that there is a chance that Yates is used kind of in an early hater role where he actually comes in in just the high leverage situation. So it'll be in, which for fantasy purposes, that's just like the worst thing you want to hear. But it will be interesting to see if he can come in and be dominant. That's such a huge asset to have, and you have him for five point five mil. Um, that's huge for Toronto. The other thing that I wanted to come back to is maybe I'm just a little bit higher on the Jays, but I think this kind of ties into Trent's original point, which like in the AL right now, there's no juggernaut team or team that's pulling away. It doesn't really have any weaknesses. So the Blue Jays adding Springer, they they, pro- they have the top three, top four lineup in the AL. Oh, yeah. It's not, it's not like any rotation in the AL is that much better than theirs. I mean, you know, we talked about it. The Yanks have one stud and – you know, if Kluber comes through, great, but it's that's a huge question mark. The Rays have shipped out their ace and Snell, so now you're blanking on uh, banking a lot in Glasnow. So it's like I I don't know. I think they could. Um, there's a chance that they could that they could take the division. I, w- would it be my favorite? No, but I I do think that they're going to get into the playoffs and compete once they're there. I, I'm I'm a little bit higher on them just because of how wide open the AL feels right now. Well, Jose, I think you can maybe relate to this yourself with your dynasty team that, um, you know, both your bullpen and the Jays' bullpen, um, highly questionable right now, um, to, to put it simply. Uh, <laughs> hey, to, to, to quote our commish, it's only January. People are freaking out about the bullpens. There's a lot of free agent guys, hands still out there, yeah. column A's still out there. I'm waiting for those guys to settle. But it, it is an issue that needs to be addressed. I believe uh, Hudson right now is my closer, too. So it's, oh, it's God. Ugly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, if you're like if you're the Jays right now, you're looking at, um, you know, do you trust Kirby Yates or Rafael Dolis uh, to to be your? Hey, don't um, don't sleep on Jordan Romano right now. Go look at go, <laughs> go, go look at his 2020 stats. He was sick. He was good for like 10 innings in 2020, man. Like, sorry. So, oh, sounds like 2021 closer Romano coming up. 
moral of the story, um, the real buff duck, if you're listening, don't drop Dolus yet. I know you might be disheartened by the, the Yates signing, but um, there's uh, there's still a chance. Sounds like Jose is telling you there's still a chance. Yeah, yeah I actually – I had Dolus originally, and that's how buff duck got him. Um, and I did not want to drop him. I mean, that just came down to I had like 20 guys, and we have we have room for four at our bench. So that was a brutal cut. But I, I, would, I would hold on to him. I think there's a chance, yeah. especially with uh, – whoever it was, the manager or GM's comments that it could go by like a committee bullpen. That's interesting. I didn't see, I didn't know that. I thought it like, I thought it was Yates's job to lose at least to start. Um, I definitely anticipate whoever has the job, I think will be on a short leash um, to start out. Um, but that's very interesting. I did not know that, um, you know, even with Yates being on the roster that the closer role is not a guarantee for him right away. Yeah. I, I mean, I was, I would assume he's without a doubt the favorite for it. I, I just know that they were, there was internal talks that they could go in, instead with the more like use your best guy for the leverage situation. So even the fact that it's getting reported, it, it, it you know, leads some, you have to look at it a little bit closer to spring training. I'm going to go a little bit different with this trade or this acquisition. Like I'm not actually as high on Springer. I'm not big on uh, outfielders who sign long-term deals in their thirties. I just don't think they ever turn out well. Maybe I'm still scarred by Jacoby Ellsbury. Um, but I just don't think they typically work out that well. Now, the power for Springer is real, and in Toronto, I think that could survive um, more than it would for most other outfielders of his nature. You know, it kind of would um, – other guys might fade out, but um, we'll see. You know, I, I, um, I actually – Reed mentioned that he liked the defense for Springer. I'm not a – I don't think his defense is going to be good, and I think – is especially playing on the turf in Toronto, I think his decline is going to be even faster. You're talking about an injury-prone player who's going to be more injury-prone probably, I mean, over as, as he gets older. And it's just – it's going to – the decline is going to be pretty sharp in Toronto on his legs. I'm thinking um, – if I'm looking at Toronto right now, I, I think a whole defense is a huge liability. Like, I don't – there's not a single guy who grades plus or even even plus or average – and Lourdes was a gold glove finalist. Uh, in yeah. In a one year thing. Yeah. He, uh, now the thing is, if he's like, you're shifting outfielder. Okay, sure. But you know, I, you have him, I mean, to Oscar, you have who's, you know, he's average, right. You got guy, or if not below yeah. average, you know, I mean, he's Bo, bad. and then hey, you got, uh, hey, Oscar, I wouldn't say there, I wouldn't say there is bad. They're, they're not good. Vlad, wait, Vlad they're moving the first bit. Vlad, Vlad being your third baseman makes it not great. I just think it's, yeah. I think it's a de- defensive team, a team that's defensively not going to be fantastic, and that's not good when you don't have a good pitching staff. Now I do like Jose's point, and that because the AL has a lot of parity, it's not as big of a deal as it could be. Because I look at that team right off the bat, and I'm like, oh, like you're not you're counting on Hinjun Ryu to be your number one. And after that, you're kind of Nate Pearson to be your number two. Nate Pearson, who's really never pitched that many innings in, at all, and, and now you're counting on him to be – and also just is a young guy. You're counting on him to have such a huge role, and that's just not going to happen right off the bat. It's going to take a little time. And you got a guy like Ryu who's only pitched over 150 innings, I think, once or twice in his entire career. So, I mean, that, that's a huge risk um, rotation-wise. I just think there's – I mean, it could easily blow up in their face. And, but at the same time, that lineup has the ability to be really good. Now, I do think actually – I think it's going to be good, but not quite as good as people think because um, I think the buff, Buffalo kind of inflated some of these guys' stats a little bit. I think we're going to see them take a little bit of a step back. 
Um, that's why, if anything, I'm not as high on um, Lourdes and Teoscar as Rita's just because of that, the Buffalo stuff. But I still think um, I still think the, the Jays are an exciting team. I think they could be a playoff contender if they add another piece or two. But um, maybe I'm just not quite as high on the Jays as some people. But I, I still think it's a good move for them, um, maybe in the in the short term at least. Um, so yeah. But um, <laughs> we we've uh, we've talked so much about these deals. You know, we haven't quite been able to talk about some of the other ones. I mean, there was the Joe Gross, Musgrove and. Um, going to the Padres, an interesting deal, um, kind of furthering our doubt. And Dolison Lamette out there, um, you know, is kind of all these additions now to the rotation. You wonder if they're really relying on Lamette. Um, now, I mean, they, they uh, not much. It's interesting how the Padres um, have managed to not really give up too much. I think they've done a good job with that. Um, they've given up Musgrove, and, or they got um, Musgrove, and really all they had to give up was. Uh, uh, Hudson Head, who's you know nineteen old, um, nineteen years old, and he's a good prospect. I mean, a guy who has a really good hit tool. But I just, I mean, it's uh, for a team that's trying to win now. I think it's a good deal um, just to add depth to the rotation. Another guy who has a chance to, you know, who's already solid but has a chance to really break out and take it to the next level. Um, don't think they give up too much there. Um, I think you know we we could if, if we had more time we could talk about how this how their rotation matches up against the Dodgers. I mean, I personally think it's a toss-up at this point. Um, uh, so, but it's overall just a, you know interesting deal. I mean, I'll actually I'll give Jordan a chance to comment since he's a half Pirates fan. Um, and then um, after that, I'd like to you know we can kind of move on because I think <laughs> we we spent so much time talking about these moves. I really want to talk a little bit about our shortstop rankings. So. Give us a quick uh, comment on this, Jordan. What do you think? Yeah, sure. I mean, this is the type of deal that, like, unfortunately makes sense for the Pirates because it <laughs> means that the 2021 Pirates, like, it's just going to be a tough watch from all perspectives. And it's probably a good thing that there won't be fans in the in the stands at the early part of the because it's just not. <laughs> there wouldn't be any anyway. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's not going to be an enjoyable watch. Um, and it's the type of deal that like, it's hard to get excited about because you're not getting a top 50 prospect. You're not getting a guy that's going to turn a bunch of heads in the industry. Uh, no, no pun intended on the last name there, but really like it is, it is the type of deal that makes sense in terms of building a strong farm system. And yeah, you're not getting any of the top 50 guys, but you're getting a bunch of lower guys. And if you look at people who are, you know, too war players are better in in the majors at any given point in time you will see that the majority of them have never shown up on any of those top 100 lists um so some of these lower prospects do turn into productive major leaguers and when you're doing a full-on like tear the team down to the studs rebuild like the pirates are these are the type of deals that that you have to do i i don't think there's there's too much more that we probably want to get into because yeah. like you i i want to get to the shortstop rankings but yeah, I, yeah. It, it's a deal that unfortunately makes sense for the pirates yeah <laughs> and i like how you saw it from the bright side too and uh are they the pros, all those prospects and i mean ben Sherrington, if there's somebody who can do it i mean it's him he, look at look at what he did for the red Sox. all those all that talent i mean all the talent that we saw really culminate in the 18 championship really was all from, you know, Charrington, either guys that he had developed or guys that had been acquired because of the guys that he had developed. Um, so it, it, I think, I think he, you know, he's going to do a good job of finding some of these diamonds in the rough prospect and make these into uh, potential good major league players. So 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, n- nothing like definitely a good move for the Padres, but not not terrible for the not terrible for the Pirates, but still just you know <laughs> very typical, like you said. So um, we didn't really have time to talk about Michael Brantley. He had a two-year, thirty-two million dollar with the Astros. That's a whole conversation at the time, and we can probably talk about that next time. But um, let's let's move on to those uh, you know, shortstop rankings. So we got this, our, we're going to talk about our top ten shortstop in fantasy. We're going to talk about it. Uh, from not, um, we're in a dynasty league, but we're going to talk about it from just uh, 2021 perspective. Um, but we are going to talk about it from the statistics of like a roto league, who your top guys would be. So um, let's start out with uh, kind of each guy. Uh, we're going to um, kind of have um, each guy kind of give a segment of their rankings and we can kind of debate those. Um, so, Reed, um, for your 10 through 7 guys, who do you have? Yeah, so actually, um, you know, funny story is that, uh, you know, in, in our Ducks in the Pond uh, sort of uh, cult here, you know, we do a lot of content between all the boys. Um, and actually one of the pieces of content I did uh, back earlier this winter, back in December, was uh, positional rankings for, uh, for DOTP for 2021 um, based on our league settings. Um, so if you haven't listened to previous episodes, basically – um, quick note on how we do our league scoring. It's a five by five, a uh, little bit of twist, um, you know, category scoring, uh, roto category scoring, but it's like we use OBP instead of average. Um, so that's really the only twist on the hitting side. Um, and on the pitching side, we have a, a quite a few more twists, but, um, you know, we'll get more into the pitching side as, um, as we do those positional rankings. So really it's just the important thing is to note is that for these hitting rankings, we're using OBP instead of average. So that'll affect um, some of the placement a little bit here. Um, but you know, every, even within, you know, between all the ducks, we all have our own opinions. So, um, even on this pod, get ready to hear some different ones. Um, uh, but here's my 10 through seven right now. Um, uh, number 10, I've got Corey Seager, um, at the number 10 shortstop. Uh, all right, right there. That's just wrong, but we'll, we'll leave that. <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm surprised that you said anything. I'm like, I know Dave's going to hear this right now. Dave Turley is just going to come to this through the screen well you just hear me out hear me out with the guys that are above him it's a shortstop is very deep if you're hey if you're number 10 if you're even in the top 10 for these shortstops you're already in a good spot you know that's that's my that that's just what i'll, I'll say there it's like all of these names are are excellent names and they are you know all quality starters and bird would love to have any of them but sadly he doesn't so <laughs> um but, yeah, so number 10, I got Corey Seager. Um, number nine, I got Tim Anderson at, at number nine. Um, number eight, I got – and, oh, boy, this is going to be a controversial one uh, – Gliber Torres at, uh, at number eight. Yes, I have him ahead of Corey Seager. Uh, Jordan's giving me a little nod there. Uh, and then wrapping up my piece here, number seven, I got Xander Bogarts at number seven. So that's my can, I, can, I hear, can I hear the rest of yours? Actually, can you just go ahead and what we can debate? Well, actually, what do you guys think? We, we, we can talk. Do I get, do I keep going. Well, I can keep going. Yeah, I just want to hear the rest. I want to hear, go through real All right. quick. All right, I'll just go talk talk more real quick, real quick. Yeah, I, you know, no analysis, just real quick. Here's my my top ten. Keep going. Um, number six, I got Bo Bichette at number six. Uh, number five and. All right, I actually, um, you know, I might actually move this guy up uh, based on recent moves, but I've got Francisco Lindor at number five. I'd actually rank him higher now, now that he's on the Mets. Uh, but for the sake of what I did the list at, you know, this was on December 2nd, um, and he's still an Indian. So number five, Francisco Lindor for now. Number four, I got another controversial one, and I think he's in for a big year this year, um, especially for categories. I got 
Adalberto Mondesi at, at number four. <laughs> number four shortstop. Hey, you can th- think of how many other shortstops have the potential to have a 40-40 season. None. None of them. Had, no Fernando, Fernando Tatis Jr. absolutely can. Answer me this. How many other shortstops on your list have a chance of being demoted to triple A? Like, <laughs> I, I will say like, it's a very risky placement because he could easily be like the 20th best shortstop. Like, through, this past season through August 31st, he was hitting 186 with no home runs and two RBIs. I know like, this. He did that being fair. He did like go off in, in September. He had, Hit 356, six homers, 24 stolen bases. The stolen bases are ridiculous. 24 stolen bases. But there's a chance he's not playing and you yeah, have him exactly. ahead of the door. He could, exactly. he could legitimately steal – he could steal 60 bases in, in a full. All right, keep going, Reed. He, he could do that in AAA. That is true. That is true. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Now the, my top three, I promise, are much more reasonable. Uh, number three, I got Trey Turner. Number three. Um, basically a, a less risky version of Alberto Montesi. Um, number two, I got Trevor Story. And then number one, uh, Fernando, Tati, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., number one. I think the top oh, three are pretty, I, I think yeah. the top three are pretty nailed on. Does anybody, else, does anybody, you know, put them in whatever order you want, but does anybody have somebody else in the top three? Yeah, Jose, was your top three any different than that? No, yeah, I think that's a pretty clear top three. I, I don't, I don't think there's much to say. Yeah, yeah, the top three is like its own tier. I think for, I mean, well, Tatis is like his own. Legitimately, Tatis is his own tier at the top. But I think the the top three are, are pretty clearly better than anyone else on that list. There's all categories. I mean, every single category, they're all they're all really good. Yeah, I mean, they're it's not all just not just above average in almost everything. So yeah. that's really good. Um, but yeah, like uh, so. I mean, where 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 do you guys have the biggest differences with Reed, Jose, and Jordan? <laughs> yeah, so going up, we actually had pretty similar um, rankings. Do we, do we want? Should I read through mine real quick? Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, all right. So ten, I had Torres, nine Mondesi, uh, Mondesi, uh, eight Anderson, seven Seager, six Bogarts, five Bichette, then Lindor, Turner, Story, and Tatis. So our biggest differences, I have Mondesi down at nine. I do acknowledge that I think out of any position, he's without a doubt the ultimate boomer bust player. Like, it, it, like if he could hit like around 280, like again, he hit 356 for an entire month. So that's not nothing. But if he could kind of even out more while still providing that elite stolen bases, like that would just be insane. But realistically, um, his, his like hitting profile is kind of disgusting. He has like an extra, like over 30% strikeout rate. I think it's like a 2.4% uh, walk rate and the advanced stats underlying that are gross. So I- I'm not really a big believer um, in him all of a sudden vaulting up this list just because shortstop is so deep. And I don't think this is, I don't know. I, I don't think he's necessarily the, I don't like his hitting profile to um, make that big a risk and taking him over players. Like, I mean, you look at even Bogarts or Bichette, like th- those guys are so much safer um, and you kind of know what you're getting. That's um, funny that we actually had the exact, um, like we had the exact same 10 names. Um, like we didn't have any differences in like the overall, like top 10. It was just the, the order that, that we had them in. Uh, it was pretty significantly different. Yeah. That- Mondesi's, Mondesi's career OBP is 284. The past few years, we're looking at 294, 291, 306, 214, 
and then two thirty one. That's that's terrible. Like, yeah, I'm, terrible. I'm very. I'm. Bo- I I will totally agree with you. Monesty's going to give you nothing in OBP. He's a he's a weird kind of four category contributor where he's a four category. Con- he, he contributes everything. Else. I don't think he's a home run. Ki- I don't think he's a home run. Oh, contributor yeah, he, he, he can give you home runs. He give you a few, but like, and then, but he's actually not giving you runs either, especially in that lineup. I mean, the most runs he's had in his career is fifty eight. I mean, he's. I mean, that's even on his good year. I mean, he's not going to give I, you I many like runs either. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree with you, Trent. I, I, I think he gives steals, but besides that, I mean, yeah. it, it, like it took it took an insane month of September to, so he could even have an okay batting average, like. I get that home runs come in bunches, so we had six in September, but he, he I, I wouldn't count on him for any more than what 12, 13 home runs over an entire season. I, I'd say yeah. the man does love he loves the month of September. I think it was like twenty eighteen in September too. It was like his other monster September. He loves that month for some reason. To trade for him in September, that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> so what about other guys though? What other what other differences do we uh do we have? So I had Mondesi out of my top ten. Um, okay. I just, and I guess I'm more, I'm probably more risk averse than, than most of the people on this pod and most of the people in this league. Um, and like the fact that Mondesi legitimately could be like a triple a player by the end of the right. year really scared me off. I don't think that's, yeah. that's true of anybody else on the list. Um, to run through my list real quick, I had Javi Baez at 10. I had Tim Anderson at nine. Glaber at eight, Bichette at seven, Corey Seager at six, Xander at five, Frankie Lindor at four, and then Turner, Story, and Tatis up at the top there. Okay. Um, yeah, so yours, I, yours seem like pretty pretty normal. I think what most experts would kind of have, have things, right? I mean, that seems yeah, nothing crazy I, there. I think that's fair. I mean, I – I don't think we've talked much about Javi Baez and Baez is super inconsistent both in his approach and in like his overall stat lines at the end of the year. Um, but if you go back and look at his 2018, like he was a 30, 20 guy, hundred runs, hundred RBIs. Yeah. He had a lower OBP down in the three twenties, but like that's star level production um, across at least four categories. And that's something that I think, you know, that kind of upside has to be accounted for. And you can apply the same thing to Glaber Torres, where if you look at his 2019, he had 38 dingers, 96 runs, 90 RBIs, a couple of steals, a decent OBP. Um, and, and having the ability to have 35-plus homer upside is not something that everybody has. And so I think keeping that in mind is, is something that I was doing as I was going through my rankings. Yeah, I, I, like, I like Glaber a lot, actually. But for, you know, like, because I think 2020s, a lot of people were, have him down. I think he's actually – like, a lot of people don't realize he came into camp really out of shape and out of, I think a little bit overweight, actually. So he was – he did not come into camp ready and was one of those guys who 2020 really was not good to because of all the COVID stuff. And he's usually a pretty good grinder and everything like that. I really – I think he just didn't – came in on the wrong foot in, in a two-month season. That's just not going to work. So, I mean, he's definitely a big bounce-back guy. I mean – you want to talk about defense, I mean, all day, I, I, I'd definitely be the first to kind of take a knock on that. But, I mean, you're talking about a guy who hasn't really even unlocked his full kind of potential when it comes to uh, kind of taking walks, controlling the zone, and driving in runs. I think he's really going to come, start to come in his zone here in the next two, three years and be a really good player. So, I mean, it's, I, I agree what you're saying. Yeah, and I'd also like to jump in and just uh, shout out David Turley and defend – 
Corey Seager a little bit. Yeah, so I know I have yeah. him at I, I have him at six in my ranks, which sounds awful. Um, but he's he's really good. I don't know if you guys know this. Corey Seager is a really good baseball player. If you look at his 2020 season and and the pace that he was on, if you take he played 52 games in 2020. If you extend that to 162 games, he was on 46 home run, 118 RBI, 127 run. 358 OBP pace, um, throw in a couple steals on, on the backside. Obviously, he's in the best lineup in Major League Baseball. Um, and obviously, he hasn't been as consistent, which is why I think he falls to the bottom of that top six because you have guys like Xander. Xander's had over a 130 WRC plus in three consecutive years. And obviously, that's not you know a stat category that we're using for fantasy, but it is indicative of who he is as a hitter and his capabilities. Um, and his consistency. So I think the consistency consistency is a knock on Seager. But I mean, I, I think anybody within maybe the top seven, maybe even the top eight, maybe even the top 10, any of these guys could end 2021 as the number one overall shortstop. I think there's enough variability within each of their profiles and, and the position as a whole that any of them, I wouldn't be shocked if Bo Bichette is the top shortstop in 2021 yeah i think the seven to ten um are pretty interchangeable as far as you could pretty much um uh like our seven to tens are with the exception of me being sounds like irrationally high on modesty um why did you put seager so why did you have seager so high or so low i guess uh i i, yeah, I think it was like consistency thing for me it was like it, it was the the consistency it was the lack of of stolen bases you know it's like he's really not going to contribute he's going to contribute a few but really not a ton in that category um it was uh it, yeah just a, a combination of those two things and then mostly the you know as i said shortstop's incredibly deep you know like it, it, even if you're number 10 you know you're still quite a good player given the shortstop um landscape right now it's just the quality of guys above him um but i will say i will say this i would i would not fault anyone for ranking seager above like glyber torres or tim anderson um i think they're very close in terms of value like and even if i were to go back and re-rank and, and take another look like i was just looking at at cory seager's stat cast and i'm like damn that's pretty fucking good <laughs> you know like you look at yeah. like 90th percentile for pretty much every major hitting thing um, Dude, when you look at when you look I, at I his, his like twenty, I was say when you look at his like twenty sixteen twenty seventeen, I mean you, you see a guy who is like a really dominant player, especially in his OB. I mean that OBP is elite compared to guys like Tim Anderson, Labor Torres, who are you know a little bit lower. Um, but in his, I think he's going to have more production RBI wise, and but he's he's scoring a ton of runs, stuff like that. But I mean he. Like the the big thing is the injury that happened in 2018. That was a Tommy John injury, and we Reed, you've talked about this. How guys when they get Tommy John, it takes them a year over. It takes them like a year and a half to really get back, two years to get back. So I think you know he was kind of halfway. You kind of have that year where you're halfway back, and that was 2019. He still had the contact skills. We saw that he still you know, but he didn't quite have the power. But then the power came back this year, and I'd really I, I'd expect him to to probably put up like a banner year next year. I think this is going to be one of his best years coming up. And that's just my thought. I, I think it's fair to keep him out of the top three, just based on he's not oh, absolutely. Going to be very many steals. Yeah. Um, but I think just about any ranking outside of that top three is, is fair for Seager. And, you know, you could probably make a, I think he's top six. 
Yeah, I, I think you could probably make a similar argument for like any other shortstop that we've talked about. You know, just about any other order probably is is defendable to some degree. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I just I think he has the ability to, to go up a lot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I do agree. The only thing is, is in, in when we're talking about Roto, his his lack of stolen bases, because shortstop is kind of – not. I don't know if it's necessarily slept on, but – you, there are so many contributors to stolen bases, which for hitting is like probably the hardest category to come by. I mean, you have to tease even story is good for mid twenties, obviously Trey Turner, Lindor, mid twenties, Bichette, if he can stay healthy, mid twenties, Bogarts is like mid, mid teens that, that that's, and those are the guys that I have listed ahead of Seager. So that was the only reason that I couldn't get him higher besides obviously he's not counting this kind of only 60 game season. He's on the last full season that he played more than I think it's 150 games was 2017. So I, his health is just such a big risk. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm with Jordan where I, I, I kind of, I, I heavily um, weight guys based on their health because I mean, as, as awesome as Seager's potential is, if he's just on the IL the whole year, that doesn't do much. So that's why I have him down at seven. Um, and then just to swing back to a couple guys we talked about uh, earlier, I absolutely love the bottom like three, four at the shortstop position there. I think there's so much value down there. I mean, Tim Anderson showed more power in this quick 60 game season than before. So if, so if he can do that and hit for like, instead of uh, mid teens, he can hit for like upper twenties home runs while still giving you good average. And you can get him in like round eight, round nine. I love that get. And then Gliber Torres, uh, had a had a down 2020, but his as I think Trent mentioned it quickly, um, his walk rate like almost doubled, went from 7.9 to 13.8. So if he can combine that patience of, at the plate with his home run numbers from the years before, I mean he, he could he could go all the way up to like I'd probably around six or seven because again he's kind of like Seager doesn't doesn't steal that much, but he could be a huge steal. And I think he still has second base eligibility. Maybe uh, you have to check that, but if he has second base eligibility, that's huge. And then like, yeah, shortstop so deep is my list. Didn't include Baez or Correa just to give Correa a shout out who are yeah, not, none of our, none of our lists had Correa in it. No. Yeah. Yeah. It really hurt me to not include him. Cause I was a big Correa fan when he was coming up. Um, but yeah, so those guys are kind of like in Seager's position last year where they flashed their potential and you can get them late. I like them both. Um, and Baez has come out and said that kind of like JD, that he was really thrown off by the lack of video review, um, in the dugout during games. So that, that is something to keep an eye on if they're going to get the videos back. I kind of buy that, buy that reasoning. Um, just because we've seen Torres do, uh, sorry, not Torres, Baez. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Javi. I'll just go with Javi. We've seen Javi, um, produce career like insane numbers so if you can get him down at you know rounds 10 11 i i absolutely love that get for a bounce back yeah See, i think that with all these like top 10 shortstops i think there's a very good chance that all 10 or at least the the, the general consensus top 10 will be drafted in the first six rounds um i, I don't think you're gonna be you're gonna have the chance to to wait until round seven or eight to to grab one of these guys um and if you do want to wait that long, you'll kind of be taking a chance on like maybe a Correa or, um, you know, sort of one of the um, outsiders looking in on that or a Semyon, you know, maybe like, um, you know, one of those guys that's like could maybe end up being in the top 10, but it's like definitely not a guarantee to, to be in the top 10. Yeah, a little bit of a weird approach, but I, I could honestly see in redraft, 
if you get one of the top three to tease story Trey Turner, you could potentially fill your your flex or if you have a middle infield spot with a second, you take two shortstops within the first seven, six picks. Cause I, I just love the value you're getting at Anderson and stuff like that. So kind of, kind of weird. Wouldn't have seen that in past years, but I think it's a valid approach for this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Maybe we can end shortstop rankings on uh, how good is Fernando Tatis Jr. Dude, he is so good. Uh, don't he get me so going. good. So he, good. Reed said, you know, uh, who who can be a 40-40 threat. It's Fernando Tatis Jr., and I'm not sure who else in the league it is. Trout doesn't steal bases he, anymore. Like, Mondesi's the only other guy with, like, a chance to do it. Like, Tatis is No, like, Mondesi is not hitting 40 home runs. No, here. he's not hitting home runs. Acuna. Acuna, yeah, sure. Acuna. It's Acuna and Tatis, and that's it. Um, Fernando Tatis Jr. is so good. So he's good. the face of baseball. Um, he's going to be the face of baseball for the next, um, I don't know, 10 years. Sure. We'll call it 10 years. I might say 15 years. The, everything the dude does is just electric. He's the most electric player since Ricky Henderson. He's more electric than Ken Griffey Jr. I, I, I will say that straight up. Um, Fernando Tatis Jr. is the must watch player in Major League Baseball. And I'm just, I'm just uh, I, I consider myself lucky that I get to, to watch him play. I would just I would echo all of what you said with just one word of caution where yeah. we have seen another in the past 25 years, we've seen another player have a very similar type of start to his career and then end his, his playing career with a, a very sullen reputation. And Yankees fans, I think you know where I'm going with this one. Alex Rodriguez. I really hope that Fernando Tatis Jr., However, he ends up. I hope he ends up with a, a better reputation than Alex Rodriguez. Because if you go back and you look at the start to A Rod's career versus the start versus where you know Tatis is now, it's like almost like a mirror image. Like it's almost the same the same player. Um, they've they've pretty much had the exact same start to his career. Um, and you know I'm just like Tatis, my man, stay off the roids. Don't do any weird shit. Like just keep balling out. And, uh, and, and, you know, like Jordan said, he could very well be the face of baseball for the next decade. Yeah, I, I just like to say, as a Tatis owner for, for Dynasty, I, I don't even like you using him and steroids in the same sentence. I'm just pointing out that, that is, that's the comp right now. It's like, you know, to the start of their careers. You know, we, back in 98, we, you know, people weren't using A-Rod and steroids in the same sentence in 98, you know, so you don't know. Yeah, I, I will say to take kind of a wild counter argument as opposed to the top three in general that we're seeing in drafts with Soto, Acuna, and Tatis. He's the only one that hasn't shown it over a full 162. So I like, that's probably my biggest like thing I'm watching this year is I cannot wait to see what he does playing a full 162 because he started out so hot this past year and had, had a down September, which speaks to how amazing he was in the beginning that his numbers still were ridiculous to end it. Um, but I'm going to be interested to see that because I, I just want to see him, if he can just figure out kind of a little bit more consistency, and that I, he's just, I mean, he's, he's just has an incredible skill. And then quickly, wait, so Reed, because I, I can't let this go. So, <laughs> Mondesi being a 40-40, he's hit 30 uh, home runs in 308 career <laughs> games. So I don't know where you're getting okay. the 40-40 from, but if that happens, like, we'll give you the title. Like, I don't even care if. That's one of the worst takes. Ever. Thank you. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, 40 home runs. Okay, 40 home runs. That's aggressive for, for Modesty. I will say 
I will amend that. To 30 is aggressive, man. Yeah. 30 is aggressive. 30-50. 30, yeah. It's 30-50. It's still 80 total. It's just a different kind of 80 total. No. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to happen. And, we'll, but, and I think I'll, I'll end with that. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. And, I, I mean, Tatis, I'll just echo everything you guys said. I mean, great potential, great right now. I mean – and consistency, like you said, Jose, like that's the only thing we need to still see. He actually, um, like every player in the MLB, they're going to have to adjust. And he actually hasn't shown the ability to do that quite yet. Um, he, the league kind of made an adjustment against him halfway through the last season. And his adjustment was actually pretty terrible. He, he changed his swing and he took away kind of his, um, he has a really nice like rotation turn where he uh, goes through the ball really, really well but he kind of eliminated that turn and kind of, um, I guess, kind of just his swing was kind of broken. I don't know how to say it, just kind of really not fluid and uh, lost a lot of the power he had. And I mean, just, just wasn't the same. So I'd love to see him, like you say, kind of put it together over a full season, show the ability to adapt and to uh, make adjustments. Um, but I think, yeah, I think we got a superstar in our hands. Um, and you're, I think you're he's more exciting. You're yeah. underestimating the power of vibes. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, but he's way more exciting. Well, I say he's more. No, I was going to end with that. He's more exciting than Mike Trout. Like Mike Trout's great, but he's so boring because like when he, he there's no swag in it. He just you know hits his home run, puts his head down, and goes. You know the dude watches. He swing. watches the Weather Channel in his spare time. Like yeah, I am yeah. shocked that I mean he's a incredible baseball player, lock for the Hall of Fame, but he's just the most boring person. <laughs> yeah, it's because he's from Jersey. <laughs> we don't have Bime on here to make fun of him for that. So, uh, poor Bime. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, guys, um, great job today. I mean, it really, um, I think we covered everything really well. Um, it was good to fun to get through those rankings and to kind of talk about some of those moves. Um, before we go, one quick thing from each one of you, like like to end with just a quick fact, quick random fact from each person um, as you sign off. I can go. It's going to go in uniform with our praise of Tatis, but I did not know this until like two days ago. He set this past season the all-time record for a season-long average exit velo with 95.9. That beat Aaron Judge's 2017 year when he hit 52 home runs. I maintain, being Having an average, being able to have an average of over 300 while – consistently hitting the ball almost 96 miles an hour is just insane. When you're talking about a guy who's not really built like a power hitter, his hitting profile isn't like, you know, a Joey Gallo, Aaron judge type, but to be able to like lead the league, he led the league this past year by two miles an hour in terms of average exit velo. And that's even like Trent, like you talked about earlier, changing his swing for the worst in September. I mean, it basically lost him the MVP, but even sustaining that high level of, uh, of exit velo with a fairly low strikeout rate considering that that's just absurd. I, I, I love the dude. It's he's never leaving my team, but that is just insane. How good he is. All right, Reed. I'm going to go. All right. 2021 is the year of Vladimir Guerrero jr. The man has lost 50 pounds since the end of last season. He is going off in 2021. He's going to be a, Average defender at third base. He's not gonna not gonna win the gold gloves at third base, but the man, the stats, the stat cast profile, everything about him, he is primed 
for his finally is going to happen. His breakout year is going to happen in 2021. I will speak it into existence, baby. Vladdy, skinny Vladdy, 2021. Live and die by it. I'm not going to say it's not going to happen because I would love to have it happen, but I will say as a Red Sox fan, I remember when we did this for Pablo Sandoval. He came back into camp looking Don't good. Don't say that name. <laughs> I believe it was the same season he broke his belt on a swing, so I've seen the skinny vibes not work out before. That's the only thing. Panda never lost 50 pounds. He gained 50 No, pan- between Panda and CeCe, they both lost like 50 pounds. Neither They're both worse for it, so I don't know. I don't know, Reed, but – uh, well, I'm we'll literally dying by that take. <laughs> all right, all right. Jordan. All right, you you guys went uh, baseball centric with your t- with your uh, little fast facts at the end here. Mine is not baseball centric at all, but it is league centric. Um, so we are the Ducks on the Pond dynasty, and there really isn't much of a backstory for how we became that. Um, somebody just threw it out as a baseball term that that might work, but I think it's fair to say that everybody in the league has fully embraced the duck lifestyle um, as it is. So I I have a fun fact for you guys about ducks, actually. Um, So all ducks have highly waterproof feathers as a result of their intricate feather structure and a waxing coating um, that comes out of a gland near the base of the tail. So what actually happens is when you see ducks going underwater, um, their skin never actually gets wet. And so, you know, many people have, have debated back and forth, is water wet? Um, my question is, if a duck doesn't get wet when it goes underwater, are ducks wet? And I, I think it would be good to just kind of let the listeners ponder that on, on their own. What a way to end. That's incredible. <laughs> water off a duck's back. Wow, that's oh, deep. Really. <laughs> that's really deep. <laughs> well, guys, that was great. And uh, thanks so much for, uh, for your great contribution today. And to our listeners, thanks so much for taking the time to – to listen to our show. Um, I know we went through a lot of stuff, but I hope you guys really enjoyed our content again. Um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for joining us today. Should be back here probably another week and a half, two weeks, hopefully. Um, yeah, you guys have a great night and, uh, take care.